Hello and welcome to the Access of Space Defense and Security podcast. I'm Omkar Nikam, your host for this episode. In this podcast, we explore the latest developments and trends in the fields of space exploration, defense technology, and national security. Each episode features insightful interviews with experts and industry leaders who share their perspectives on a wide range of topics, including the latest advances in satellite technology, space exploration missions, military defense strategies, cybersecurity, and more. Whether you are a space enthusiast, a military professional, or someone interested in the latest innovation in technology and security, this podcast has something for you. Join us as we delve into the cutting-edge research breakthroughs that are shaping the future of space defense and security. Stay tuned. Hello and welcome to episode 13, Ukraine's international relations and NATO. So today to understand this issue we have with us Yoho Bralian. Hi Yoho, welcome to the podcast. Uh, good afternoon Amkar, thank you for the invitation. Thank you very much. Likewise, uh, we are great to have you and thank you for giving us this your precious time. So as we'll be taking a deep dive into this topic, uh, prior to that can you just give a brief introduction about yourself and how you ended up uh, you know working in this sector? Uh, I am a PhD in history, and uh, during the last uh, five years, uh, I have been uh, uh, I have been covering uh, international affairs. And uh, since October twenty twenty one, I am uh, covering international security and defense cooperation of Ukraine uh, in the Information Agency of Ukrainian Ministry of Defense, Army Inform, Army Inform. And so, uh, on my main uh, workplace, uh, I write about uh, Ukraine-NATO, Ukraine-EU cooperation, uh, international aspects of the Russian-Ukrainian war, various uh, issues of international uh, security, as well as uh, climate and security regarding uh, the Russian aggression against Ukraine. Amazing, quite an interesting background. And for the audience who are from the space industry, I'm pretty sure everyone is aware, uh, especially from the defense and security as well, that the current situation in Ukraine uh, is not uh, really that great. But of course, there are people like uh, Yoho who are uh, right now on ground over there. And uh, we need to appreciate their work, the way they are providing the information from the ground sources as well. So yeah, starting with the podcast, uh, Yoho, so can you tell us the dynamics of regional warfare and what is your stand on Russia-Ukraine war, both from a historical and the modern times point of view? Uh, first of all, we have to understand uh, that uh, this is... Uh uh one of the periods of uh, russian imperialism its uh, liquidation its agony and uh, moscow uh, has been always uh, very tough on ukraine mm, russia has uh, occupied the ukrainian territories for several times it was during the russian empire since the early modern period, uh, since the 17th and 19th century, and that it was Soviet period, when uh, there were famines, repressions towards uh, Ukrainians and other ethnic minorities uh, who lived on this territory, including Jews, Poles, Crimean Tatars, and other uh, nationalities. Mm. And so... Uh, uh, actually, uh, Russia started uh, this war uh, in uh, 2014 when uh, Moscow um, occupied the Crimean Peninsula and uh, Russia used uh, this uh, chaos after Euromaidan, after the Revolution of Dignity, uh, to occupy Crimea, uh, which is uh, a part of Ukraine. And uh, it's a part of Ukraine uh, with international uh, recognized borders. 
and uh, it was uh, clarified by Russia through signing uh, different uh, documents uh, starting from the 90s. But Vladimir Putin uh, and uh, Russian uh, society itself, uh, they decided to invade Ukraine. Mm. And uh, the events of 2014-2015 uh, uh, were very, uh, were very quick for Ukraine. Yes, uh, Ukrainian society was not ready to, uh, you know, was not ready that uh, Russia would be an aggressor because. Uh, uh, Russia always used uh, this uh, information warfare against Ukrainian society, and a lot of Ukrainians used to think that uh, we are not enemies and uh, there will be a peaceful relationship between our countries. Uh, but uh, nine years ago, uh, Putin uh, made uh, such a decision to invade uh, another sovereign country. And so uh, uh, in uh, 2014 and 2015, they were signed two uh, Minsk uh, agreements that, uh, uh, that look like a roadmap uh, to uh, some uh, peaceful uh, negotiations uh, to end uh, this war, but uh, Russia didn't want to uh, to do what they needed. Uh, and uh, so uh, we, we can uh, call it uh, a hybrid war, yeah? So beginning from 2014, um, uh, Russia has been using uh, the methods of hybrid warfare and uh, what is a hybrid warfare? Actually, it's um, a complex uh, vision of warfare, uh, which includes uh, disinformation, uh, cybersecurity, uh, manipulations of uh, history, uh, economic pressure. Yeah, so uh, Russia has been using not only its uh, military power against uh, Ukraine and uh, against uh, the countries of the West. Uh, uh, we don't have to forget about uh, Skripal case poisoning of uh, 2018 and uh, we don't have to forget other uh examples uh, when uh, russia uh, has manipulated uh, the public opinion on the west including um, the dutch referendum of 2016 about the association agreement of eu with ukraine yes yeah, so there were a lot of examples of uh, russian uh, so-called active measures against uh, the west and uh, during uh, these uh, uh, seven years, uh, from uh, 2014 until uh, 2021, uh, Russia uh, Russia didn't uh, didn't started this uh, like full scale invasion. Yeah. So and uh, then Putin decided to do it. And uh, we saw it uh, through um, the massive grouping of Russian troops uh, near Ukrainian borders at spring and uh, uh, in autumn 2021. And uh, the Western intelligence uh, uh, shared uh, this information with uh, Ukrainian colleagues. Mm, and uh, in the winter of 2021-2022, uh, we were in a situation of uh, of waiting for something very bad. And uh, I remember those uh, horrible months and days. And uh, I remember the day, February 24th, 2022, when Russia has started the full-scale invasion of Ukraine. Uh, 
and um, I would uh, I would like to admit uh, that uh, it, it's crucial to understand uh, for the international audience that actually Russian-Ukrainian was started in 2014, but uh, in 2022, uh, the period of full-scale uh, war began. Yeah, so. Uh, and where where we are now, um, it's a very good question uh, because uh, we uh, we we have to know we have to know that uh, Russia can do anything uh, what they want. Uh, Russia is a terrorist state. Russia is uh, using. Uh, uh, nuclear blackmail. Russia is using uh, global famine blackmail. Uh, Russia is uh, is terrorizing Ukrainian civilian population. Yeah, so uh, Russian army couldn't uh, couldn't uh, occupy uh, a lot of uh, territory of Ukraine. And so uh, when uh, the armed forces of Ukraine liberated the northern parts of country, when um, the Ukrainian army liberated uh, Kharkiv region, when uh, Ukrainian army liberated uh, Kherson region, Kherson uh, city. Uh, so the main uh, battlefield, battlefield we can see near Bakhmut uh before the full-scale invasion if it was uh one of the most important cities of uh, Donetsk uh, region yeah it was one of the industri industrial centers of the east of Ukraine um uh, but uh, Russian army so like uh Russian army has the following uh, a task uh, to occupy uh, the territory of uh, the administri administrative bodies of Donetsk and Lugansk regions, yeah, Donetsk and Lugansk oblast of Ukraine. Uh, and uh, they can do it until now. And for Ukraine, uh, Bakhmut uh, defensive operation is crucial because it's our land. We uh, are protecting our land, our people, our nation, our soils, our nature, our everything. Yeah, so um, we can hear from uh, some uh, Western politicians that maybe it would be better to uh, it would be better to uh, give uh, that uh, almost uh, destroy Bakhmut to Russians, but it's our territory and we uh, are not uh, in the position and we don't want to, you know, uh, to give some territory to our enemy, the Russian Federation and uh, the Russian people, yeah, and the Russian occupiers. Okay. Um, and uh, okay. About, about, about Ukrainian counteroffensive, very quickly, yeah, so uh there are a lot of rumors about uh, when it will begin or how it uh, will look like yeah so ukrainian counteroffensive will be possible after we will get uh, modern military equipment including tanks uh aircraft uh, yeah so uh, different as ammunition yes uh, ukraine uh, highly appreciates the support uh, of uh, its partners from uh, nato eu countries as well as um, other countries also yeah so uh, the counter offensive is a very tricky question but uh, I know for sure that Ukraine will win this war uh, and uh, Ukraine uh, will uh, will libera liberate all its territories. What will be yes. um, the victory of Ukraine, in my personal opinion? Well, first of all, uh, it's uh, the liberation of all territories occupied by Russia 
since 2014 and since February 2022. Yeah, so it's parts of uh, east and uh, south of Ukraine and uh, Crimea. Uh, the second point uh, is uh, the uh, prosecution of uh, Russian war crimes uh, in Ukraine, including massive raping, uh, killing of civilians, uh, tortures of the prisoners of war, and other. Yeah, so the winter in the Hague is coming. Yeah, as was said in one famous series. Um, uh, the third point uh, is uh, denuclearization and demilitarization of Russia. Uh, so uh, the international community has to do all possible to make sure that Russia won't be able uh, to uh to make uh, such uh, full-scale invasion and aggression in the future yeah so uh the first uh, point is that uh, only the uh, the demise of uh, the russian federation uh, as a country uh, will be a proof that Russia is not an empire anymore. So um, only the liquidation of this uh, of this state will uh, make uh, uh, Europe and the world more peaceful territory. Yeah. So and uh, the fifth yes. point uh, is that uh, Ukraine. Uh, would become uh, a member of NATO, NATO and the European Union. Yeah, so it's it's very briefly, but uh, this war is about uh, the anti-colonial uh, anti-colonial movement against the Russian imperialism. Because uh, so, uh, uh, really, okay. I just uh, I would just mm -hmm. like to add one point actually. Uh, you mentioned it in a really good way that, uh, you know, there was a prior intelligence. So I just want to ask you, because uh, I come from the space industry and we have been observing, like, I would say after Iraq war, uh, because, you know, what happened in Iraq was also an unfortunate thing. And in Iraq, we had observed the actual journalists going on the war field, you know, and the uh u.s armed forces you know helping them report the things now we don't know from which perspective it was reported of course but in ukraine there was a much more you know advanced scenario where the satellite imagery was you know distributed across the world and i think journalism played a very important role in that uh, it was open source intelligence of course uh, so ha having even those these open source intelligence and also the back channel intelligence as well so even though having such a high level of intelligence, uh, what are your thoughts that, you know, uh, several, Euro, uh, I mean, the especially the European nations and the United States, uh, why was there not a dialogue or a diplomatic, uh, you know, talks happening with Russia? Because I think if it would have happened on a prior basis from these countries, not from the Ukraine side I'm talking, I'm talking from the Western side, it could have possibly avoided the war scenario. So what are your thoughts on that? Uh, well, uh, what I remember is that uh, there were some several attempts of such negotiations. For example, there were negotiations between uh, the US and Russia in Geneva in January 2022, yeah. Uh, but uh, Russia wanted to start uh, this full-scale invasion. Russia uh, didn't want it uh, to have some, you know, uh, security guarantees or something like that. Yeah. So for what they asked, actually, the West. Yeah. So um, from the Russian perspective, they wanted to start this full-scale war. From the Western perspective. They didn't want uh, this escalation, as they named it. And so uh, that's why uh, we've got uh, such uh, uh, such situation uh, without uh, some proper solution. 
because okay. Russia wanted well, Russia wanted this war and yeah, uh, yeah. the west uh, the west uh, wasn't actually united uh, in uh, deterring russia because for exactly. the west uh, china became uh, more uh, actual problem and threat rather than russia yes they knew about uh, uh, that the russians occupied crimea and parts of donetsk and lugansk regions donbass yes they knew about the russian war crimes on the occupied territories, but they didn't uh, see the solution. Yes, yeah, so they um, they negotiated with uh, Russia, but for everyone, uh, it it was very obvious that Russia didn't want to didn't want to yes. go for some peaceful solution. Yes. Yeah, and also just uh, following up, you know, like stepping back. Uh, a little bit and you know observing it from a diplomatic and uh, geopolitical perspective so it's a very unfortunate thing uh, that it were quite a lot of western countries who were who wanted possibly the uh, ukraine to to be disarmed you know to lay down all its weapons its nuclear program and everything so what are your thoughts on that that if the West didn't disarm or unarmed Ukraine, then the situation would have been different because at the end of the day, you know that, you know, when you have a neighbor uh, like Russia, which, are, which is a massive power, uh, and you're still disarming them, I think that doesn't fit very well with the narrative that, the, you know, uh, possibly what the United States is especially showcasing at the moment. Because when you have a neighbors like that, uh, it is very essential that you need to support uh, the countries like Ukraine uh, by arming them, by strengthening their defense forces. But unfortunately, that was not the thing. So what are your thoughts uh, on this? Uh, well, you know, when we look back uh, at the beginning of the 90s, when uh, Ukraine uh, proclaimed its independence from the Soviet Union and yes. uh, the West uh, recognized that there are some other countries except uh, Russia on so-called post-Soviet space. Um, yeah, so uh, the question of nuclear nuclear disarmament of ukraine budapest memorandum of 1994 yeah and it's further disarmament of ukraine uh it's only about the economics because uh, ukraine um, didn't have at that time uh, such amount of resources first of all financial one to uh, have uh, nukes on their territory because uh, you need to have a lot of resources uh, to, you know, to operate uh, such um, military equipments, yeah. Uh, and uh, the Western countries decided uh, to make such a deal with Russia so that uh, Ukraine uh, would give up its nukes to Russia and uh, everyone would be happy, yeah. So uh you know we are not uh, on the alternative history lesson yeah, yeah. Uh, because uh, uh it's very important to understand uh, that western logic was uh, that priority is moscow priority is russia ukraine wasn't priority for the usa the uk uh, in the 90s for sure yeah i remember that anecdote about uh, british prime minister john major uh, his conversation with boris yeltsin yes the first president of russia so uh, boris can you tell me please in one word uh, what is the economic situation in russia and <laughs> boris replied good and in two words not good yeah so this okay. um this, this logic was very clear and what we saw um what we saw later is that uh, west uh, 
uh, West uh, failed uh, to recognize the Russia as uh, a security threat, not only to Ukraine, not only to Moldova, Georgia, um, other countries of former Soviet Union, but also for their region too. And uh, we can uh, compare, for example, uh, the, um, the responses to Alexander Litvinenko poisoning of 2006 and the uh, Skripal case uh, attempt of poisoning of uh, 2018. And they were like two different uh, stories. And uh, such countries as Great Britain uh britain uh, revisited its foreign policy revisited its uh, foreign policy towards russia towards ukraine uh with the us uh, the situation was more complex because uh, uh washington uh, uh, wanted to deter at the same time uh, okay. China and Russia, and China was more priority for the US. And this is some um, this is some dilemma which remains for Washington until now. Yes, there were France and Germany; those two countries uh, were main uh, negotiators. Uh, between uh, Russia and Ukraine uh, uh, for seven years. Uh, and uh, they also have had their own uh, economic interests with Russia. Yeah, so Germany, Nord Stream 2, uh, France, uh, some uh, economic cooperation, including military one. Yeah, so from the one point of view, they uh, supported Ukraine. Uh, more econ in economic terms, yeah, but uh, at the same time, uh, they uh, intensified uh, their economic ties with uh, Russia. Okay. And I would say, you know, just to uh, look from a broader perspective in this uh, segment, uh, and also, you know, a little bit coming out of Europe. Uh, so... Ukraine, I'm pretty sure, like, Ukraine has a very strong international relations with the countries outside Europe as well. So do you think uh, in this current situation, those relations have been fruitful? Uh, because even though I, I, I believe uh, there are countries like India who have taken a neutral stand, out, of course, due to out of a diplomatic and international relations point of view, but... India was also is one of the country who has still provided a quite a lot of medical aid uh, in this war uh, to the Ukrainian people. So from that perspective, uh, do you have any uh, examples to showcase where uh, Ukraine's international relations beyond Europe uh, have been helpful in this war? Yes. Uh, so, for example, when we are talking about Latin America, uh, the relations uh, between uh, Ukraine and Guatemala were intensified. Uh, Guatemalan leader uh, visited Ukraine uh, in July uh, last year, and he was the first uh, Latin American leader who visited Ukraine uh, during the last uh, 12 years. Uh, and uh, Guatemala uh, has supported the idea of special tribunal uh, for the Russian war crimes in Ukraine uh, and uh, uh, the embassy of uh, this uh, Central American country will be opened in Kiev. Uh, yes, yeah, so we uh, we can talk about Peru, uh, where the new ambassador was uh, appointed, Yuri Polikhovich. Um, he is Ukrainian historian, and he transcribed uh, the writings of uh, Maya civilization, and uh, he has been working uh, for a long period of time in Mexico, um, and so he really knows uh, this region very well from the historical perspective, yeah? Uh, when we're talking about uh, Africa, uh, Yes, uh, Ukraine wasn't uh, so active in that region for different reasons. Uh, 
uh, we didn't have experts in this region. We didn't have so much resources. But after February 2022, uh, the question of food security became uh, crucial. And I want to say that uh, Ukrainian diplomacy activated uh the cooperation with uh, south africa with uh, different african countries uh, uh, maxim subh was appointed a special envoy of uh, ukrainian ministry of foreign affairs for africa and middle east uh, he is a former ukrainian ambassador to algeria uh, about uh, Middle East, uh, our priorities are, are Turkey, uh, Saudi Arabia, Israel. Yeah. So uh, when we're talking about the countries outside Europe, it's very important for Ukraine to uh, make some priorities, prior countries for Ukrainian diplomacy, for Ukrainian foreign policy, and uh, you could see the recent uh, visits of Dmitry Kuleba, the Minister of Foreign Affairs of Ukraine, to Iraq, to Kuwait. Mm, yeah, so, and uh, we, we, we are trying to diversify our foreign um, policy. And uh, finally, when we're talking about Indo-Pacific, uh, Ukraine uh, has formed and strengthened its uh, strategic partnership and cooperation with such countries as uh, Japan, uh, the Republic of Korea, Australia, New Zealand, uh, Indonesia, India. Yes, yeah, so yes, there is uh, a main uh, challenge that we don't have ambassadors in a number of countries, including India, uh, but uh, I uh, am really very optimistic that uh, Ukraine has started uh, to build uh, the regional alliances. Yes, we want to become a member of EU and NATO, it's very clear. Our main partners uh, are from uh, the West, yeah. Europe, uh, North, the North America, but at the same time, uh, we understand that we have to work more actively um, on the global South. Yeah, Africa, yeah. Latin America, Indo-Pacific, and uh, this, uh, you know, bilateral, trilateral cooperation uh, is really very, is really very uh, good uh, when we are talking about uh, some particular issues, for example, food security. When we are talking about food security, our priority is uh, is obviously Africa, Middle East, and uh, Ukraine is trying to do its best to prove uh, uh, it as. Uh, a partner, a valued economic partner for these countries. When we're talking about Indo-Pacific, it's also about food security, but it's also about the modern technologies. Yeah, semiconductors, Taiwan, uh, you know, all this uh, stuff. Yeah, so... Um, uh, and... Uh, yeah, and we actually, Ukraine... Uh, has already built uh, some uh, regional alliances, but uh, it's uh, mostly about Europe. Yes, yeah, so we have Quadriga, Ukraine, uh, Turkey, uh, on the levels of ministers of foreign affairs and uh, uh, ministers of uh, defense. Uh, we have this alliance uh, of Britain, Poland, and Ukraine. Uh, we have Lublin Triangle, Poland, Lithuania, and Ukraine. Uh, we have the Association Trio, Republic of Moldova, Georgia, and Ukraine. Uh, and we have also this economic uh, trilateral dialogue uh, of uh, Republic of Moldova, Romania, and Ukraine. So looking at you know the having a brief outlook on whether 
Ukraine's international relations have improved with non-EU countries. So I believe the explanation that you provided definitely has improved. And you also gave an outlook of who are the potential strong allies. Of course, within Europe, there are a lot of strong allies. Uh, but what are your thoughts on, uh, you know, beyond Europe? So who are the potential countries which are you consider the strong allies of Ukraine outside of Europe? Uh, well, I would name uh, such countries as uh, Japan, Australia, New Zealand, um, India, okay. Guatemala. Uh, so, uh, you know, uh, the question with the alliances is uh, tricky because... Uh, uh, now we can uh, see such tendencies that uh, uh, the classical uh, alliances uh, what uh, the U.S. Uh, formed after the Second World War, uh, we can see they are final, yes? Yeah? So we can see they... Uh, they uh, don't work uh, anymore and so uh, current alliances uh, they are more for some particular tasks uh, for example i don't know economic resilience uh, defense cooperation mm, we can see it for example from uh, british uh, japanese uh, defense alliance uh, which was formed uh, at the beginning of this year, we can see it from AUKUS, uh, which was formed in uh, September 2021, Australia, Britain, uh, the, the United States of America. Um, and also we can see it uh, from uh, the Ukrainian uh, alliances, which I uh, has recently described. Yeah, so... Alliance is not uh, about uh, some long-term security guarantees, long-term uh, cooperation. It's about the cooperation in uh, some particular area or aspect. It's uh, and when we are talking about Indo-Pacific. Uh, the countries in this, in this region, in economic terms, they are more closer with China, but in security terms, yes. they could be more closer with the U.S. We can see it very clearly, for example, in the Philippines, when Philippines uh, have this main non-NATO ally status with the USA, and uh, the USA will build uh, five more military basis of uh, on uh, the philippines but from a, a economic uh, perspective uh, the philippines manila is more closer to china yeah so uh, the same uh, we can see with uh, uh, asean countries yes yeah, southeast asia countries uh, uh, Pakistan, uh, yeah, the same in security terms, uh, more cooperation with the USA, but in economic terms with uh, China. And uh, when we're talking about India, yeah, uh, so uh, first of all, Ukraine uh, has to appoint uh, the ambassador to India, and then uh, we could have uh, more strategic uh, dialogue. And uh, there are a lot of areas where uh, we uh, could have mutual benefits. Uh, for example, uh, medicine, uh, some uh, food security. Yeah, India is also very concerned about uh, this... Uh, uh, literally uh, destruction of supply chains because uh, you know uh, Russian full-scale invasion of Ukraine of February 21st 2022 uh, has an impact uh, on the global basis especially when 
uh, when we are talking about food security. Yeah, because uh, each country wants uh, to get uh, food uh, for their own people. And uh, Ukraine is one of main exporters of uh, uh, agrarian uh, products, uh, food. Uh, we, uh, you know, yeah. the international community has to make sure that uh, Ukraine uh, can uh, export. Uh, uh, Ukraine can export uh, its products uh, uh, globally, but. Russia is preventing from it because Russia is also one of main uh, exporters of agrarian food, uh, especially wheat. Yeah, so and uh, what to do right now? Yeah, we have this grain deal negotiated uh, by Turkey and uh, the United Nations, but it's not enough for Ukraine. And uh, yes. I think uh, food security is also one of the one of those areas where uh, Ukraine and India could find uh, uh, mutual benefit and areas for cooperation. Um, as the first deputy of Minister of Foreign Affairs of Ukraine, Emine Japarova, uh, she has made an official visit to India this month. It was a two days visit. Uh, she visited uh, yes. New Delhi. Uh, she uh, had the discussions with uh, local uh, think tanks, with uh, civil society, yeah, with diplomats, officials. And uh, I really hope that... Uh, uh, India will become uh, a really valued, uh, first of all, economic uh, partner for Ukraine about uh, military um, military cooperation with India is it's complicated, yeah, because uh, India, for several reasons, uh, has had uh, a track of. Uh, defense uh, cooperation with Russia, yeah, so India bought uh, some military equipment from Russia, yeah, so, and that's why uh, I can understand uh, Indian logic, yeah, so that country needs uh, some military equipment for the army, but at the same time, so like, you know, uh, the main uh, question of diversification of Ukrainian foreign policy is about to understand what priorities uh, with whom uh, we would uh, we would emphasize because yes. you know we can't we, we can't we can't uh, work uh, on the same level uh, with i don't know um great britain and uh, some latin american country yeah so that's why uh, Ukraine is forming uh, these uh, priorities. And uh, yeah. when a country uh, can't provide uh, the military support, military aid to Ukraine, okay, um, country, a country could uh, join uh, and could uh, support a special tribunal for the Russian war crimes uh, uh, in Ukraine. Yes. And... Uh, about Middle East. Yes, yeah, so we have Syria there and uh, uh, Russians did uh, a lot of uh, war crimes there because they were bombing Aleppo, other uh, Syrian cities. Uh, Russians uh, killed uh, thousands, tens of thousands of uh, Syrian uh, women, yes. children. And this is a momentum of um, this is a momentum of accountability for Russia, and this is the moment of, of accountability uh, for Russia. You know about uh, Chechnya, Syria, Ukraine, uh, yes. Af Africa. Yeah, so we don't have to forget about. Uh, these uh, activities of Wagner group uh, in Africa, in, in the Sahel, in former French colonies, Mali, Burkina Faso. So, 
Russia is really uh, a global problem, and uh, yes. the main uh, the main task for Ukraine and uh, the international community is to do all our best that uh, Russia uh, will be punished uh, for its uh, crimes, uh, for its uh, aggressions, for its. Uh, mm, uh, for its uh, for its behavior, you know, because uh, this was uh, these activities uh, is a consequences is the consequence of uh, Russian imperial mindset. Russians, um, Russians, uh, Russian perception of. Uh, uh neighboring countries is like it's all russia belarus yes. is russia ukraine is russia central asia is russia caucasus is russia baltics is russia you know and uh, they uh, they treat uh, other countries in uh, following way and uh, this russian imperial mindset is something uh, which was, you know, uh, hidden uh, for Western scholars when, uh, for, or think tankers when they were, you know, analyzing uh, contemporary Russia because, yeah, they were writing about some, you know, uh, yes. specific uh, way of Russian state. So they are not West, but they are not East at the same time. So they would be, you know, uh, Eurasian country, yeah. No, then the Russia is just the last empire. Yes, yes. Um, Western countries uh, were also empires, uh, and uh, the dec decolonization is a process uh, for a long uh, period of time, a long term process. Yeah. So and um, we are not there yet, and. What we can see, yes, of this Black Lives Matter movement, other this uh, revisiting of uh, the history in the West, uh, in the USA, in Britain, in France, in Germany, in the Netherlands, in Belgium, yes, of this revisiting of colonial, of their colonial past. But Russia mm -hmm. didn't do it. Russia uh, hasn't done it yet. And Russians, they were always, um, you know, imperialist in this or that way. Even yes. uh, even uh, people uh, with um, with the Western education and with liberal values. You know, I yeah. I don't uh, truth uh, so-called Russian liberals. They are. Uh, Russian imperialist, uh, but uh, you know, uh, having uh, some uh, MA or BA uh, in Oxford, Stanford, or whatever. And this is, and this is, you know, and because, um, and this is the most uh, tricky question with the communication between Ukraine and the global south, because uh, your countries, for example, India. Uh, you yes um you uh, you see britain differently from us because you see britain as a former colonizer you see britain uh, as occupier you see britain differently from ukraine and yes. uh, for me because actually i I'm a historian, and uh, my specialization uh, was uh, British Empire, modern and contemporary colonial history, global history, international history of colonialism of the of the nineteenth and twentieth centuries. And what I can say to you, Omkar, that uh, yes, uh, yes, these uh, these questions of post-colonial heritage are really very peculiar and. Uh, yes. Uh, we in Ukraine um, struggled uh, from Holodomor done by uh, Soviets, by Moscow, by Stalin, and uh, uh, you Indians uh, 
suffered from Bengali famine uh, during the Second World War. Yeah, so yes. you know, we uh, we we have to to see it in a very you know uh, global perspective because all the more uh, of Ukraine is not only about Ukraine; it's about. Uh, uh the True. imperial uh, it's about the imperial power yeah so because yes uh, i agree with you yeah i, I so, would just uh, like to add actually mm-hmm. one point uh, because you mentioned about the british empire so uh, and we were talking about the alliances so this is actually one of the reason because even before the, actually the british came there were the rule of mughals and in between of course there were french portuguese uh, who also came uh, to india uh so you know if we see it was almost a patch of more than 500 years which in which like uh, india was under the rule of you know some some of the other foreign powers and this is mm-hmm. the reason uh, in indian diplomacy indian foreign policy uh, even in the domestic affairs uh, there have been like all kinds of governments in india center left uh, right and we have this one rule embraced within the indian system that is no forming the alliances because the whole point of the alliances makes at the end is that you have to somehow align with one or the other partner that is in the alliance if something of is of not uh, your interest so for example even with russia that's that's the reason like india is a good partner with both us in terms of scientific cooperation economic cooperation and with russia for the defense and security but we don't have any kind of alliance with russia and this is the whole point because alliances somehow you know make you dependent or you know possibly put up a pressure point at some point to align with the other states even if you or your your country is not you know uh, aligning with those certain points uh, in the international politics and just i mean uh, as we discuss about this then just a follow up question so looking back at the nato's footprint do you think ukraine's participation in nato will possibly improve ukraine's international relations and its current situation in the war in general because okay it it can solve the current situation in the war uh, but in the long term uh, basis uh, again as i mentioned it's an alliance so if something is is not in interest of ukraine uh, ukraine still will have to align because it's a part of nato so what are, what are your thoughts on this um you know i want to also uh, end my answer about the alliances you know yes uh, the indian example is uh, uh, could be you know uh, could be fruitful for ukraine yeah because uh, india is a part of quad uh, anti chinese alliance yes the us india australia and japan at the same time india um, uh, is a very diversified foreign policy about nato um nato as well as the European Union after February 24th became uh, a global uh, a global organization before February 24th uh, NATO was more about uh, you know two percent of GDP uh, this uh, security guarantees uh, from the US to European countries it wasn't about um the facing of global challenges and the global challenges are following russia china iran uh it's not you know uh nato uh, 20 years ago saw the main security threat the global terrorism yeah it was a global war on terror after after 9 11 but uh, nato nato didn't see russia as a threat until uh, uh, 2014 NATO didn't see it yeah and uh, about NATO about about NATO and Ukraine yeah I think 
that I suppose that uh, Ukraine's NATO membership will be uh, an element of our victory over Russia. Because mm. uh, we in Ukraine uh, understand that uh, NATO is our future security and defense. It's our it, NATO, Ukraine's NATO membership is probably the best security guarantee. And <laughs> seen retrospectively, yeah. it really matters. And we, true, true. we, we could see it from uh, the applications of Sweden and Finland, what they did after February 24th, first of all, they applied for NATO membership in May 2022. And uh, two neutral countries of the North Europe, they decided to do it. Uh, About the chances of uh, uh, Ukraine's membership in NATO. So, uh, um, you know, it's like a two-line mutual process. In Ukraine, uh, we have to reform uh, our defense and security sector uh, and and the alliance from their side uh, has to uh, help us to do it because uh, without... uh, our internal work, Ukraine won't have any substantial external support. And it's also uh, it's also about the European Union, but not in defense security terms, but in economic one. If we want if we uh, won't do, the reforms uh, in the anti-corruption, uh, in uh, ju- the judicial reform, uh, the EU membership uh, will be a long-term perspective for Ukraine. If we will do yes. it, it will be much uh, closer. And about about uh, our membership in alliance uh, and its global implications. Um, we we are seeing now that uh, NATO decided uh, to to make uh, these uh, alliances. I, I can't I can't name it as alliances. I will name it as uh, a strategic cooperation with uh, four yes. U.S. allies: the Republic of Korea, Japan, Australia, and New Zealand, and these countries. Yes uh in the process of opening uh, their representations at the NATO HQ and uh, for me uh, the alliances uh, became uh, more informal than they were before and this is the main uh, difference um, between the alliances uh, before 2014, yeah, so classical alliances of the USA and Pakistan, of the USA and Taiwan, of the USA and uh, other countries, yeah. Uh, It's about that uh, alliances became uh, more informal. And the second thing is that uh, alliances became more about particular particular area alliance is not uh, you know a jail for a country so that uh, the state uh, can't uh, cooperate uh, with uh, other countries in uh, different areas and uh, this is the lesson of the russian-ukrainian war for our uh, foreign policy for our defense and security policy for our economic policy and that is something uh, we uh, we can find in india for example the diversified foreign policy economic policy defense and security policy you don't need to become a member of nato you are already mm-hmm. A nuclear power you are already 
uh, a main uh, regional actor in uh, South Asia, and you want to become a global power. And, uh, you know, where I also see another um, field of cooperation between uh, Ukraine and India in, uh, in the United Nations, because... Uh, yes. Our, our main desire is to kick off Russia from the Security Council of the UN. And uh, we uh, will be very glad uh, if uh, India could uh, replace Russia. Because you yeah. and uh, other countries, yeah, for example, Brazil or South Africa, yeah, so, so this emerging regional powers, you want yes. to reform the United Nations. And Ukraine was that country that uh, has shown uh, the inability of the UN to resolve this war, to punish uh, Russian war crimes and to do the other stuff. And this is something where we can communicate, actually. Yes. We want Russia out uh, and India in. It's It will be... Uh, better for India and Ukraine at the same time. Yeah, I think I'm really glad you mentioned the point about uh, UN Security Council because it's it is a very unfortunate thing uh, that one of the world's biggest democracy and also one of the world's uh, most populated countries after China uh, is not a member of United Nations Security Council. Uh, it is really a very unfortunate thing. Uh, but we hope, uh, I think, down the line things improve uh, in this case uh, because it is very necessary to have, you know, the main actors uh, into the play. And uh, as we are speaking about NATO, so we are seeing uh, like the NATO's increasing awareness or uh, becoming more active in the Indo-Pacific strategy as well. So, uh, recently, just a episode before this, actually, we recorded was about actually Indo-Pacific strategy uh, focused on New Zealand. And in that also, we discussed the same thing that uh, there are several powers coming into the play, but uh, the West sees India as a prominent ally uh, because the main part here to counter is China. And like the West and both India see China is a prominent threat over here. So we see actually the NATO's role, you know, going beyond Europe. And also that that is also one of the reason I asked you the question about uh, uh, how Ukraine sees the strong allies beyond Europe. So, yeah, I, I think you explained it really well. And I think we are almost at the end of the conversation now. Uh, so, yeah, uh, you know, just the final question, Yoho. Uh, as an expert in this field and having a specialization in the history, what message would you like to give to the future generation stepping into this field of research, history, international affairs? Uh, the reason I'm asking this question is because there is a, uh, you know, kind of a significant amount of uh, universities and students who actually listen to this podcast. Uh, so, you know, uh, I'd be glad if you can give an answer from an academic point of view of uh, what possibly they can do, how research uh, they can take, which kind of narratives they should follow or possibly how they should follow multiple narratives and then come to their own conclusion. So, yeah, I'd be really glad if you can just uh, provide a brief insight on this. Thank you for such a really very insightful uh, question, Amkar. So, first of all, uh, be very critical. Be very critical to what you read, what you listen, what you watch. Uh, there are, you know, uh, there are tons of uh, information now and uh, also disinformation. And uh, if you want to become, uh, if you if, if you want to work in some think tank, if you want to become a journalist, if you want to become an official, uh, the main task for you is to verify the information because uh, information uh, is also uh, a place of battlefield especially uh, 
uh, on the west, uh, on the global south uh, as well, but uh, in the west especially. And uh, what we saw uh, after February 24th, uh, that uh, that scenarios that were written by Western uh, think tankers, they were wrong about Russia, and they lacked uh, the Ukrainian expertise. Yes, uh, the Ukrainian expertise in region, in Russia and Ukraine itself. And uh, that was uh, something, uh, that lesson that uh, wasn't uh, learned by tankers, but uh, uh, we can see now that uh, uh, there is more attention to Ukraine, uh, to Ukrainian experts. And, uh, uh, you know, um, So uh, having uh, having uh, such a big uh, you know uh, such a big uh, level of uh, you know communication and information, uh, young professionals uh, have to be ready to counter propaganda, to counter disinformation to understand uh, what is true, what is false, and uh, to, to be very critical. And uh, um, I suppose yes. it, will, it, it will be more influence of the artificial intelligence, of modern technologies, and uh, space also uh, um, became... Uh, the fifth uh, domain of the warfare yeah so uh, yes if you if you want to become a professional uh, you need only to be critical and uh, yes. and that's 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 the main uh, advice to uh, to the next generations of uh, young professionals in security and defense, in media, in communication, and in other areas. Yes. Thank you very much uh, for your time, Yahor, and uh, providing us such uh, thoughtful insights. And uh, we hope we can uh, definitely create some more episodes uh, and the kind of work that you're doing on the ground level, uh, we really appreciate it. Uh, please feel free to send us any uh, donation links uh, that are there, uh, if you have it, for the NGOs. Uh, because last year, one of my friends uh, had opened a uh, stall in the Christmas market for the donations, and I broadcast broadcasted it through various uh, social media channels uh, for the donations for the ukrainian soldiers uh, so if you have those links as well please feel free to forward us and we'll get it broadcasted via our podcast uh, to help uh, in any way possible for the ukrainian people thank you very much Yoho. you're welcome thank you for the invitation and such uh, really very interesting and insightful discussion with you Amkar, about uh, ukraine and how ukraine uh, has changed the world thanks thank you for listening to this episode if you find our podcast insightful then please like share and subscribe see you in the next episode thank you